Thank you for that hymn we've just sung, Lord. It reminds us that heaven is full of praises for the victorious risen Christ who's won such a great salvation that even now is continuing to spread throughout the world and that people are coming to trust the Lord Jesus and obey him and find in him their salvation and their joy and their hope and their security. And so, Father, we ask that you would continue that work in this city and in this nation. Lord, that you would do that work in our hearts even today, that you cement the glorious gospel uh, that is yours for us, that you cement it in our hearts today. And not merely would it be something that we rejoice in ourselves, but we would long to pass it on. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen. Well, I wonder this morning whether you would describe yourself as an ambitious person. Are you ambitious? Are you driven? Do you have goals that you strain towards? There are certain people, aren't there, that when you meet them, you know that they've got a driving ambition. In fact, if I just mention their names, you'll know what their driving ambition is. Eddie Jones. Still waiting for that perfect England team game. Nicola Sturgeon. Still waiting for an independent Scotland. I'm making no comment about that. I've never said either for or against. I'm merely pointing out that you know what her driving ambition is. Do you think that Christians should have ambition? Uh, obviously, if you, if you run a business, you probably have ambitions that it's profitable, but probably more than that, you long that actually you'll do something useful, something good. And that's why you've gone about this business. If you're a head teacher, you've got an ambition that your school would be successful, that you would raise up pupils who, uh, who get good exam results and go on to good university places. You have a, an ambition for that. Well, should we as Christians, should we have ambitions? Should we as a church have ambitions? I think sometimes I, I meet an attitude that feels as if it's somehow ungodly that uh, Christians and churches should have ambitions, that we should strive towards things. People feel a bit nervous about that. Is that right? Well, have you heard that phrase? If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. That's true, isn't it? If you, if you definitely want to hit your target, aim at nothing. And you'll definitely hit it. Well, I want to show you today from God's Word that the Apostle Paul was very ambitious for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he wanted to pull others into his great ambition. And I want to suggest that the Apostle Paul's great ambition is one that he would still want us and that we should be drawn into as a church today. So please open your Bibles. We're going to go to the end of Romans, Romans chapter 15. Uh, Ruth read the opening section. And the closing section kind of returns to some of these important themes of why Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. So turn to Romans chapter 15. I'm going to read from verses 14 to the end of the chapter. Page 1142 in the church Bibles, page 1142. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness 
filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Lyricium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who are not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. That is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I've been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while, I, while passing through and that you will assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Well, keep, keep your Bibles open and I just want to focus our eyes particularly on uh, the second half of verse 19 and verse 20. Have a look again at that with me. So from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so I would not be building on someone else's foundation. So observe with me that Paul's ambition is to um, fulfill the gospel in new territories. Um, he talks here about two phases in his work. The first phase is, is laying a foundation, and the second phase is building on it, and he achieves both by preaching the gospel. So he goes into an area... And he lays a foundation by preaching the gospel. 
so that uh, people are converted. People come to trust and obey Jesus Christ, whom he preaches to them. And he gathers them together, and that's called a church. A church is God's people gathered together by the gospel. That's what a church is. And so they, there is this laying the foundation phase, preaching the gospel so that people get converted, uh, they believe Jesus, they, they obey Jesus, and they gather together and a church is formed. And the next phase is building on the foundation. And again, this is done by preaching the gospel so that these believers grow in Christian maturity. They grow in Christ-like character. And they grow to engage in the mission of Christ. These are the two phases of sort of apostolic gospel ministry, all done through preaching the gospel. You can come across this language in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, where Paul says about Corinth, because when he went to Corinth there wasn't a church, but he went about this two phases. He preached the gospel in Corinth. And he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that uh, he, like a master builder, had laid a foundation in Corinth. People had become Christians. Uh, people had um, gathered together. A church had been formed. But his concern was that as he'd headed off, that others had come in and they were beginning to build on that foundation with something other than the gospel. And that's why he's writing with concern to them about the danger of that. And it is quite amazing uh, to consider Paul's missionary activity over 20, 25 years of work. He says uh, there in verse 19 that I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ from Jerusalem to Illyricum. Now that is a, an incredible area from Jerusalem all the way around to an area that we know today as sort of Albania, Montenegro. It's, it's a massive zone of territory. And Paul can say, well actually literally in, in, in the original language, I have fulfilled the gospel in that area. What does he mean? Uh, does, it, does he mean that everybody there has become Christians? No, he's not saying that. But what he has done is that he's gone around this whole region and he's gone to key regional cities and he's planted a hub church. And from that hub church is the expectation that the gospel will then go out to the rest of the region. So think about Ephesus. Paul arrived in Ephesus. He stayed in Ephesus for at least two years, maybe up to three years. And he stayed put and he preached. He began preaching in the synagogue. They kicked him out. He went next door to the hall of Tyrannus, the lecture hall of Tyrannus. And daily he would give these Bible readings. He would share the gospel there. And it says in the book of Acts that from there, the whole province of Asia, that territory known as a Roman territory of Asia, heard the word of the Lord from that one city center hub church. The whole region heard the word of the Lord. And when you read the, the, the letter to the Colossians, you'll read about how Epaphras, who no doubt heard the gospel from Paul in Ephesus, goes back up the, the, the valley, up along the river valley, back inland about 100 miles to Colossae, and he preaches the gospel. 
He passes it on. People believe it, turn to Jesus, obey Jesus, and form a church, gather together. And so Paul can write this letter to the church in Colossae. Because having planted a hub church in Ephesus, the gospel spread out to the region and he can delight to say, I'm thanking God for the amazing work he's done amongst you through the gospel as Epaphras preached the gospel because the gospel has borne fruit among you just as it's doing all over the world. That is what he means when he says that he has fulfilled the gospel. He has gone through all of these regions And in key centers, he's planted hub churches. He's laid a foundation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's helped them grow into maturity and to be mission stations to reach out into the rest of the territory. Amazing. Fantastic. And so Paul's ambition at this point, as he writes his letter to the Romans, is that he wants to do the same elsewhere. He wants to fulfill the gospel in new territories. Why was it Paul's ambition to keep preaching the gospel? Well, I want to give you two reasons why that's the case. Firstly, because the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. That's what we learned back in chapter 1. So let's turn back to chapter 1 and have a little look at this again. Preaching the gospel was so vital because it is the power of God that saves everyone who believes. It was with that passion that Paul had this great ambition. Now what is the gospel? In a sense, we need to preach to the whole of Romans. And, you know, actually I'm looking forward slightly nervously to the day when I'm going to do that here at Charlotte Chapel. Uh, I I do hope to do this. it's 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 a big book. And really... It's everything he lays out in the the book of Romans. But you get a great summary of it in the opening verses of chapter 1. Look from the very first verse. Uh, It's not a human invention. invention. It is the gospel of God, he describes it. God has come up with this, not human beings. This is God's message. This is God's plan. It is a revealed message. It's not a new message, verse 2. God has been communicating about it for hundreds of years before Jesus came through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. This good news, this gospel of God is the fulfillment of, of hundreds of years of prophecy and expectation. It's not simply a message, it's also about a person, verse 3, regarding his son. The essence of the gospel is a person, the Son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. He is man and he is God. His human ancestry, you can trace it back to King David. His true identity was was hidden to many, but his identity was fully revealed as the Son of God as he was powerfully raised from the dead, uh, verse 4. And in verses 16 to 17... You can see that the gospel is not simply about who Jesus is, but about what he has done. And the key word is righteousness. In the gospel, it is made clear how men and women may be put right with God. 
as men and women, we are the glory of the universe and we are the garbage of the universe. We're capable as image bearers of God of amazing and beautiful achievements, but also capable of great depravity and corruption and perversion because we've fallen short of the glory of God. Our lives are marked by sinfulness and brokenness. We are those who thanklessly have rebelled against the Creator, we learn in the book of Romans. And so how can sinful, twisted, rebellious people be made right with God? Well, it's in this gospel that the righteousness of God is revealed, Paul says. We can be made right, made right with God, not by what we do, but by trusting what God has done in his Son, Jesus Christ. And from beginning to end, from the first to the last, it is by faith. It's by trusting Christ that we are saved, that we are made right with God. And if you're not a Christian here today, I hope you really get that this is the most wonderful and glorious message you could ever understand. And if you don't understand it yet, keep, keep asking questions until you do, because this is how you are made right with God, because of what Jesus Christ did in his life and his death and his resurrection, and you can be made right with God, cleansed, washed clean, all the mistakes of the past forgiven, if you'll trust Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul had such confidence in this gospel, because it is the very gospel itself that has the power to save people. As you preach the gospel, people will actually believe it, and be saved, and be made right with God. It Technology. You've got to love technology, haven't you? <laughs> and who is it that gets saved? Everyone who believes. Everyone who believes. And this is why Paul had such a passion to keep going to new territories. In a sense, there was nowhere in the world where people couldn't get saved if they just trusted this gospel. It is for everyone, for, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. Gentiles being all the rest of the, the nations who are not Jewish. Everyone who believes. And that's why he was not ashamed of the gospel of God. It seems strange to people's ears when they first hear it. But as people truly understand these facts about this historical person, Jesus, and all that he's done for them on the cross, they really will be saved by God. That's why he's not ashamed of the gospel, but in fact, he's ambitious for the gospel. Is this back on? Is the batteries gone? To spread from here, can you hear me? Oh, I'll, 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 yeah. I'll just go louder. I'll just go louder. I can lose my voice. So he's not ashamed, but he's ambitious for this gospel. 
And why was it his ambition to, to keep preaching the gospel in new territories? Well, if you turn back to Romans chapter 15, it's quite simply this. Because people have not heard about Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. Here's the only message that will save people. It's the message that God has for a lost world that would bring salvation. And so if there's people who haven't heard it, Paul's got an ambition to take it to them. He wants to preach it. He wants to go to new territories so that people will come and hear the good news about Jesus and be saved by Jesus. That's why he's ambitious to go to new territories. And what's so inspiring and challenging in chapter 15 is that I think, you know, considering 25 years of amazing missionary endeavor, he's kind of covered a lot of the eastern part of the Roman Empire. And you kind of think at that point, you probably think, you know, it's time to just maybe do some victory laps and just rest back and publish a few books and tell people about how you did it. But no, he, he's just as excited to go all the way around to the western side of the Roman Empire, the western side, because he wants to go to Spain. Absolutely inspiring. Now, the Apostle Paul was special in many ways and unique. And yet, his passion that people who are lost would hear the good news of Jesus Christ is one that's been passed on to us. In fact, we'll see uh, in a moment how Paul is passionately trying to engage the church in Rome to work with him, to come on board this ambitious plan. To work alongside him to see new territories reached with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now our church, uh, Charlotte Chapel, our vision is not to have as many congregational meetings and ministries running before Jesus returns. It's, it's not, that's, that's not what we're trying to do. Let's just have as many meetings possible until Jesus comes back. That's not the point. Our vision is to be a people who are not ashamed of the gospel, but ambitious for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to be a church that glorify God in, in everything that we do, in every aspect of our lives and our church. But we want to engage in the mission of Jesus so that the nations of the world will also come to glorify him and see what an amazing savior Jesus is and become obedient to Christ themselves. To see this city and this nation and this world filled with more people who are fulfilling the purpose for which God has made them. To know him, to love him, to glorify him, to be in relationship with him. Now, Scotland is not a new territory for the gospel, but we have to say the ground has been lost, hasn't it? We're in a new post-Christian phase which needs a radical call to re-evangelize this nation. The big picture is, is that there's about 5.3 million people in Scotland of which approximately 3% would be born-again Christians. So basically 5.1 million people are not rejoicing in who Jesus is as Savior and Lord for themselves. 
97 out of every 100 people lost. And we're in a full room, so we can think, actually, it's going well. It's not going well. Only 3% in the nation of Scotland. Most people are largely ignorant of basic Christianity. And so, in a sense, the baton has come and been passed down to us here today. And we want to be ambitious for the gospel. We want to be ambitious for the gospel in lots of different ways, and hopefully you've begun to see that. We're ambitious for the gospel to impact the next generation. So on top of, uh, of a great investment that happens with uniformed organizations, with Sunday school, with Sunday focus, with WePM, uh, Saturday focused, we've also got this contagious youth conference. And I hope that you've noticed over the years as we've seen people getting baptized, how many of the young people have been greatly impact, impacted by the contagious conference. It's kind of our camp as a church. And all these activities because we're passionate about passing the gospel on, ambitious for the gospel for the next generation. We're ambitious to preach the gospel to more people in this city who do not know Jesus Christ. There's 495,000 people in Edinburgh. And if you go with a 5% stat of Christians, that's 470,000 people who are not Christians in this city. Uh, I think last week we maxed out about 840 plus people in this building. That's a tiny number, isn't it? We're trying to work out how we can fit 740 more seats in this building. How would you do it? Where would you put them? We've got a plan. Maybe we'll start another service to make space for more people. And at the members meeting, we're going to start talking about that and we're going to start planning and trying to work out, can we make this happen? How could we make this happen? And as members, we're going to kind of make a decision in November about whether we want to move to two services. So I want you to uh, prayerfully consider whether we should make this step to make another 740 seats in this building on a Sunday morning so that we can reach more people. There'll be a, there'll be a cost. We'll need more people serving, more people involved. It'll be a bit uncomfortable for us. We're going to miss not seeing all of us at the same time. But the question is, should we try and reach more people here in the city center? So would you pray about that? Uh, would you uh, help ministry leaders as they think about how we could possibly make this work? We're ambitious to strengthen existing gospel churches in Scotland. We're not in it on our own. That's why we have our uh, ministry apprenticeship, to give people a chance to have a taste of what ministry looks like. That's why we've created these pastor and training positions, to encourage the raising up of a new generation of Christian leaders who are going to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's only possible because people give to enable these programs to happen. I don't know about you, but I'm so excited about the, this next step for Martin Smith. It's so exciting to talk with George McKenzie at Hoyk Baptist 
a church that was very struggling, and then George has come alongside. They've seen some growth back from about 20 up to 60. But they are so excited that because of our missions giving and because we've been able to use resources from legacies, from the Greta Arthur legacy, we are paying 50% of Martin's salary to enable him to be able to go to the borders for the first two years and work with George with the goal that he would then become the lead pastor and George will become his assistant. And so I'm so excited that we can play our part to strengthen the, the, the spread of the gospel in the borders, which is actually an area where there are not many gospel churches. And we're able to do this because you give money. Sunday by Sunday, there's an opportunity to give money as you head out through the boxes. Uh, we encourage people to give through standing orders. Uh, thank you so much for your gifts. I want to encourage you to think about uh, what you're going to leave behind when you die. Uh, Greta Arthur left a lot of money behind, and even as she's gone to glory, her money is seeing the spread of the gospel right now. And I think that's thrilling. Because of her giving, for example, there's been lots of projects that she's blessed, uh, but my, um, Grace Mount uh, church plant that's going to happen well Andy Prime's received gifts from the Greta Arthur legacy as well as our missions giving support Martin Smith that's happening and there's so many other projects that have happened because uh, she took the time to write into her will to make sure the money gets passed on to the church so that we can engage in gospel ministry. And uh, it may seem a bit macabre to talk to you about your wills, but now's the time to do it, isn't it, when you're fit and healthy? Would you consider about giving some of your money, leaving it behind, so that the gospel will continue beyond you? We thank God for the generosity of Greta and all that is going to be accomplished in and through that giving. We're ambitious to plant new churches that will be centers of gospel witness. In a sense, um, we're a bit like Ephesus here in the city center, aren't we? We have the privilege of being a hub church in a, in a capital city. And from here, to work together so that we use our resources of people and money Sending leaders and people to see new gospel witnesses happening, new churches planted, churches revitalized and strengthened. That's the privilege. And I want to chat with uh, two guys about two potential church plants. So if you can come up. So we're prayerfully considering as, as a church whether we can engage in two church plants in the next three years from Charlotte Chapel. I think that's quite exciting. A little bit nerve-wracking, but that's what we're praying towards. Matt, come up here. Tell us, uh, there are lots of churches in Edinburgh. Why are we talking about planting more? We, um, we're setting out to plant new churches fundamentally because we think it will help us reach more people with the gospel. Uh, more people than if we're just going to stay as one big church here in the center. Uh, more people even than if we split up and scatter among the existing churches. The big driver is we think planting will actually help us reach more people. Why do we believe that? Well, some of you perhaps are like me, kind of data-driven, love numbers, it's like that evidence type of thing. 
You'll be glad to hear there is a, there's a growing body of evidence that supports this idea that this claim is true, but, but really, at the end of the day, it's very hard to prove something like that, to conduct a controlled experiment to show that this outperforms other reasons. So I want to give you three key reasons why planting, why planting new churches will reach more people. And the first one is focus. Uh, new churches are focused on reaching new people. It's the reason they exist. It's the, it's the one key priority. It's their essential lifeblood. Everything they do is driven by this mission. Now, it should be key for every church, of course. But over time, lots of churches find reaching new people just becomes one priority amongst many priorities. Sometimes in some churches, it slips so far that it's really something just for the enthusiastic keen beans. So planting new churches puts this back at the top of the agenda. Second thing, fire new churches need all hands on deck. It's, it's hard work, but the, the big upside of this is that there's no room for passengers. Everyone has to step up, and that means it becomes my church rather than just the church I go to. There's a greater sense of engagement and ownership, and that brings us more into the church's mission. So planting new churches fires up Christians for mission as well. And then the last one is freshness. New churches get to think freshly about how we do church. They get to consider how to put up as few barriers as possible to those who are coming to God. Because like the Apostle James says, he says we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And the freshness of a new church gives us a chance to think about how to do that. It also gives us a chance in terms of relationships. So... Although it's painful to leave friends behind, it really is. Don't want to understate that. It does mean the separation means we have room to make new connections, new connections which are vital for mission, new connections which are vital for welcoming people into church too. So focus, fire, and freshness. That's why we believe planting okay. churches matters. So what, what sort of church are you hoping to plant, Matt? There's a lot I want to say about well, this. But, but not, you have to condense it now. You have to condense it. Even from your notes now, you're going to have to condense it. So. Uh, I've been talking to the elders about planting a church, hopefully with some of you, uh, out on the western edge of the city, somewhere in the kind of Guile, Hermiston Gate area, a church that shares the Bible-centered, the mission-centered DNA of Charlotte Chapel. And I guess I'm hoping to build a church particularly around the idea that everyone is a missionary everywhere we find ourselves in our everyday life. That's not a giant novelty, uh, at least I hope it's not. But it does tell you something about the sort of church. So uh, a church that wants to think of everyone being on the front line. Uh, a church that wants to think of us being a missionary wherever we find ourselves. Whether that's at the school gates with other parents or in a team playing sport or just over the fence to our neighbors. And a church that thinks about mission as something every day, not something radical or extraordinary, something only for the keen beans, but something we can all get involved in. So everyone, everywhere, every day, and uh, multiplying disciples, multiplying churches, a church that's planted with a view to planting more churches, a church that takes training as seriously as Charlotte Chapel does, a church that has an ambition to carry on uh, in this direction. And then finally, I guess, um, a church that recognizes it's always work in progress, uh, that recognizes every believer there is a work in progress. None of us are the finished article. All of us are imperfect. But we're not satisfied that. We're trying to make progress towards Christlikeness. A church that believes as a whole is also a work in progress. We don't know how to do everything. We don't know the best way to reach out with Jesus, but we are going to try and we're committed to change and pursue the most effective church we can be. Okay, so, so practically what are some of the next steps and what, what sort of timetable are you thinking about at this stage? 
Um, I'm planning on setting up a series of slots over the next couple of months where you can come and hear me give you some more detail and learn a bit more about what it might look like in practice, ask some questions. Uh, I'm also gearing up for drinking a lot of coffee um, because I, I think to do something like this is a significant, is a significant uh, risk and challenge and you should rightly want to know a lot about what you're getting into before you do. Uh, I'd love to have coffee with you and, and talk about that in more detail, so just drop me an email. We're going to try and build a, a, a small inner leadership team so you have a sense for what the leadership of the new church will look like. And then in May, uh, the church meeting is going to vote on whether we should do this or not. And uh, if you do, if you like that touch paper, our plan is in the October time frame to start meeting here in the afternoons as a very first stepping stone. It gives you a chance to put your toe in the water without giving up this wonderful place. And then with a view to moving out west in the Easter time frame next year. Okay. Thank you, Matt. I got more to say. <laughs> um, Matt's coming towards the end of uh, a three-year assistant position with us, and has just done a wonderful work amongst the young adults in particular. Uh, it's been great to go along and see the energy and enthusiasm, see the numbers that meet here midweek, and uh, down to Matt's uh, faithful teaching and leadership and also to see the fruit of some of his personal work in people's lives, people really making great growth in their Christian lives. And so we're very excited to see uh, Matt taking all of that that he can, has been able to do uh, and the potential of seeing a new church planted Easter 2018. Uh, Adam, um, beyond that, here's another thing that we're praying and hoping towards. Tell us about what we're thinking about. Well, we are thinking about a church plant in South Queensry in uh, Easter 2020, when my time here comes to an end. Uh, we moved, Judith and I and the family moved out there in October, and um, we just see a need there. We're getting to know our friends and our neighbours, and we're meeting an increasing number of, of Christians in the area, and we're praying uh, and thinking about whether that may be something we could do when my time here comes to an end uh, in three years' time. So um, what, what are some of the practical ways people could think about this uh, yeah, at this we, stage? It's a bit early, I guess. It's, it's much earlier, yeah. You keep, pray, pray for us. Uh, pray for the growth group that's meeting in, uh, in South Queensway in our house. Um, I sent them an email this week saying that I'm going to be saying this this morning. They're not signing themselves up to this, but we would hope that some people would want to join us from that. And maybe some people who are here this morning uh, who would maybe want to move out to Queensway and be part of that. Um, and uh, yeah. Great. So you've got two years to think about moving to South Queensbury and being part of this church plant, which is very exciting. Thank you very much, Adam. What that was is sort of extended practical application from Romans. And I want to show you that as, he, as we finish off here, that Paul is writing this letter, which some people see, I mean, it's a great doctrinal treatise of the gospel, but actually his motivation is not to create theology doctorates. It is to engage people in mission. He's writing this letter because he wants to say to them, will you work with me? Will you partner with me in my ambition to see the gospel spread to new territories? Let's just close by seeing some of the different ways that Paul urges them to get on board with partnering with him. So uh, hopefully you've still got your Bibles open to Romans chapter 15. 
But I wonder which of these he's asking us to do as we think about next stages of, of being ambitious for the gospel at Charlotte Chapel. It starts with prayer, verse 30 of chapter 15. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. It starts with prayer. The struggle of prayer. Breaking new ground, seeing new churches planted uh, is going to be a spiritual endeavor. There will be many difficulties in the way, many hardships. The devil's not going to be that keen about it. And we need to be struggling in praying for the, for the Lord's help. Financial support. Look at chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a deacon of the church. I ask you to receive her in the Lord in a way worthy of his people and to give her any help she may need from you, for she has been the benefactor of many people, including me. As well as being a great deacon, it seems that Phoebe had a bit of cash. She was a wealthy woman. She was a benefactor. And she chose to use her money to invest in this great ambition of spreading the gospel. The gospel will not spread unless we pray, unless we're willing to have benefactors, willing to invest their money to see these things happen. Thirdly, moving to be part of a church plant and taking risks. Look at verses 3 and 4 of chapter 16. Greet Priscilla and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus. They risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll discover how Priscilla and Aquila met Paul in Corinth. And they stood with him uh, when he faced abuse and violence. They stood next to him. They put their necks on the line. And then when he moved to Ephesus, they uprooted their business and their home, and they moved with Paul to Ephesus to see a work established in Ephesus. And maybe that's what the Lord is calling you to do. You've heard uh, at least three appeals this morning. Move to the borders, says Martin. Come and join me in West Edinburgh, says Matt. Come to South Queensbury. Well, I you know, you can't go to all of them, but... Uh, Maybe the Lord is calling you to think about uprooting and going to a new place so that you can invest in the work of the gospel. Maybe opening your home for meetings in the church. Again, Priscilla and Aquila, verse 5. Greet also the church that meets in their house. They opened their home so that meetings of the church could take place there. Working hard in the church to make gospel ministry possible. It's amazing the number of people where this phrase, they work hard. But look at uh, verse 12. Greet Tryphena and Tryphosa, those women who work hard in the Lord. Greet my dear friend Persis, another woman who has worked very hard in the Lord. To see uh, the gospel work go on requires hard work. People committed to, to digging in. It means loving and caring for people like family. I love verse 13. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. To be a growing gospel church, we need people willing to act like mums and dads to people who aren't their children. Just loving and caring, 
you know, Rufus's mum fussed over Paul, made sure he was fed well and, you know, had his favorite dessert and, and he was just, he was all right. And we need people to love and care like family in that way. And, and lastly, offering hospitality to gospel workers. Look at 16 verse 23. Gaius, whose hospitality I and the whole church enjoy, sends you greetings. Someone willing to put up gospel workers in their homes. These are some of the myriad ways that Paul, as he writes this letter to the church in Rome, he's writing in advance of his coming because he wants them to say, look, uh, will you stand with me in believing and proclaiming this gospel and will you work with me in this gospel ambition? I think this is such an exciting time to be a Christian. This is such an exciting time to be part of this church. God has blessed us. He's, he's He's blessing us even now. But with that blessing comes responsibility. How are we now going to be ambitious for the cause of Christ in our generation, in this needy, lost nation? Let's pray. Well, Father, we want to thank you that you sent your son and he is the savior of the world for everyone who believes. And so we thank you for this glorious gospel that changes and transforms lives now and for all eternity. Father, help us to see the glory of Christ so that we will expend our lives gladly in his service in the spread of this gospel. We ask this, desiring that your spirit would lead and guide us as a church We've thought about different ways that we are ambitious to see the gospel advance. But Lord, we know that these plans are only uh, very contingent on your blessing and your leading and your guiding. And so we pray as we talk about these things together and pray as a church that you'd, uh, by your Holy Spirit, guide us to the next steps you want us to take. We ask this in Christ's precious name. Amen.